hey, glad to be with you. We're talking about God's word today, so I thought we'd start a little bit differently uh, in how we have God's word integrated in our service. So if you'd stand with me for the reading of scripture, we're going to read the passage of scripture at the end of the passage. We'll say this is the word of the Lord, and then corporately together we respond with thanks be to God. This is 2 Timothy 3. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women, who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth, men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Thanks, Mika. Thanks so much. Man, so glad to be with you. Uh, so good to worship and hear scripture read over us. Just a joy to be with you, church. Uh, my name is Josh. My wife and I, uh, we're, we're partners here, which basically means we're like most of you, we just uh, go here and choose this as our church home, and uh, it, it's an honor to be able to be up here today and share with you. And I've met a handful of new people coming in this morning, and you're joining us in the middle of a, a, a series we're doing that we're really close to ending. It's called Mark It Up. But the intent of this series was like, how do we help people connect with the truth of who God is and who his word is and, and making God's word meaningful you know, this. we hope this plays out in our everyday lives so that we believe that God is a big God and calls us into this incredible life to experience hope and joy and peace despite circumstances. That our hope for this series was that together we would fall in love with all scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to work through it to form what we think about God and who we really are. And man, I was, I was really stoked when this uh, series started. It felt like my 
personal devotion to reading and listening to scripture was kind of stalled out, a little complacent, maybe non-existent. Anyone else feel that way? Ten weeks ago when we started, I sat right there, had those feelings like, yes, this is what I need. It's an invitation, challenge to be in God's word. Like I was like, yes, I will do this. So the first week I started out really well. I had my little booklet. We have booklets back there. I, again, we're almost ending next week, but feel free to grab one. I had my booklet. I was reading First Timothy 1. I was marking it up, did it a few days. Started out great asking Jesus, shape me through your word. You know, and that was about it. I mean, I was lucky the next few weeks if I could find my booklet to bring on the Sunday morning. You know, my work's been incredibly busy, stressful. I've gone from having a big team to a small team. I, I got this random ear infection that literally put me on my back for three days. Thanks so much for those uh, that was praying for my vertigo. Got some marital conflict in there, a family vacation that didn't go as planned. And, oh, yeah, did I say four kids, right? Like, hashtag life. And, uh... Man, I was like on board for some more scripture, God's word permeating and saturating my life from the invitation from our pastors, from our community, and it did, just didn't quite take hold, right? Feels a little bit like more confession time for me right now, but this is how the Holy Spirit works, right? Josh, I see you, and you were so close to coming back to communion with me through scripture in your everydayness. And you're not quite there. I see you. So whatever reason, Rick asked me to teach today. And bless you, my friend. He literally asked me to teach on what can be considered the anchor passage for these two letters that are about bad teachers, bad leaders, good teachers, good leaders, and the centrality of Scripture in our lives. So it's like, Yes, Spirit, I, I hear you. I don't know if you've ever had moments like this, right, where God's nudging you, he's trying to do something, he's trying to smart start you moving a direction, but then you maybe stop moving or you kind of go a different direction, and he just sends a giant whale to really convict you. I share this with you just as we begin so that, that you hear and see that I have nothing special as I together come together with you to worship and open his word and ask the Holy Spirit to move and speak through these few minutes in this time as he's convicted in my heart. And so I come convicted and I've treated and held scripture in the past few weeks and with the desire to really allow scripture to move and penetrate our hearts in ways that hopefully we might all be convicted by. And so would you just pray with me as we begin this morning? And Jesus, we just pray for this time and for those that you've led here for the very first time that you have a word for them through your scripture. And for those of us who may be here and have continued to move forward with the busyness of life, may it penetrate a little bit deeper. But as a community, may this, the understanding of your word and the impact it should have 
you know, teaching and leading and being the church. May this lead us into the weeks ahead. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, so grab a Bible uh, or a booklet, and we're in, uh, as we read, 2 Timothy 3. So as you find that, uh, just a reminder for all of you, kind of where we're at, Paul's writing Timothy a letter. He's writing these two letters. It's to the church in Ephesus. His heart really is to help Timothy best lead and teach the church. Kind of where we were at last week in chapter 2, it ended optimistically, right? The Lord's servant is to instruct the opponents patiently with the hope that God will graciously rescue them. So we head into chapter 3, and I think chapter 3 is best summarized by thinking of it in kind of these three sections. We have the bad teachers and leaders, then we have the good teachers and leaders, and then we have the focus of what the good teachers and leaders and the church should be. So follow along with me. We're going to kind of walk through these verses uh, in order. We're going to touch on, I'm going to read some of them again so we can hear them again and talk about them as we continue to mark this up together. So we start with verses 1 through 10, right? This idea of bad teachers. And we know from the first parts of this letter that there are false teachers, there's bad teachers, there's some uh, heresy or things that aren't really correct about the things of Jesus and the way of Jesus. And Paul, it's convicting for him, so he writes the church in Ephesus, and we drop into this passage right with this, like, vice catalog of these terrible people. So this is uh, 2 Timothy 3. Again, this is 1 through 4. But mark this, right? So there's this harsh transition. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Right? So if you're marking it up and if you're circling words that you have in common, you see this lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, pleasure rather than God. And in the Greek, how this is written is the prefix of these Greek words is Phil, which is where we get the, the, love, the word for love about brotherly love, phileo. And Paul puts this prefix on these words. And so you have philatos, philagrios, philodonos, and philotheos. And these words stand out, right? I'm not an English teacher, but I think I, even I can see that there's some commonality or alliteration or whatever you call it, where all of these words look the same. So you're drawn to them. And what we get is this understanding of misplaced love. Lovers of themselves, right? This idea of having it my way. Lovers of money that greed trumps all. Lovers of pleasure, this pride and arrogance of self-value. And you like read these, man, and you think like, man, these are some bad, bad people. You got criminals, thieves, thugs. Sounds like two-year-olds to me, right? Can I get an amen? These clearly are bad dudes. But then verse 5. Having a form of godliness. 
right? And there's some debate with, with some scholars on what this means. Like, are these people in the church of Ephesus or are they out of the church of Ephesus? But whatever their form of godliness, they're able to do some people, seduce some people into believing their heresies. They have some form of godliness, like they're kind of nice. They're not that bad. You know, maybe they're just, they, they look pretty good so that things don't seem terrible, right? But they're lovers of self, there's lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this, this idea of misdirected love, that their misdirected love puts themselves ultimately at the center, the, as, the center of every aspect of life. And so then we go, go into six, uh, verses 6 through 9, and Paul goes on to specifically address that their problem they're having in Ephesus. Specifically, men that were pretending to be about the things of God that would coerce and trick women. And Paul's not describing pagans engaged in crime or bi biological warfare, but he's describing bad leaders moving into the church and taking advantage of a vulnerable people. So then Paul, uh, I, I, I view it as like Paul names, name drops here, Janus and Jambres, right? So in Jewish history, these were Egyptian magicians, Egyptian magicians, it's pretty hard to say. But what they, what they were known for is that when Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and 